All right. So uh, Carlos helped me come up with some objectives um, to just go over them real quick to provide real-world practical tips for excellent dentistry and an effective dental practice regardless of location, illustrate the importance of medical missionary service locally and internationally and its impact of, on patient outcomes, Disca discuss how to apply professional talents and responsible stewardship. Well, after uh, kind of doing a little bit more looking into it, I was like, man, how am I going to talk for an hour? And then I was thinking, how am I only going to talk for an hour? Because that was a little too much to kind of bite off in in uh, just an hour. But anyway, just a little bit about uh, us. Um, I think I know most of you, but uh, Crystal here is my beautiful wife, and uh, we have four daughters, um, Shyla, Ava, Leah, and Brinley. That was taken a few months before we left Saipan. Um, up on the hill, and you can see kind of the ocean in the background. Uh, Tinian, yeah, that Tinian's the neighboring island, and that's right over there. Um, that was when it was still pretty, because just a few days ago, it got stomped by a major uh, super typhoon. So I'll show you pictures in just a little bit. But <clears throat> graduated School of Dentistry 2000. Um, Crystal graduated in 2005, and right after she graduated, um, we took off to Saipan, and we've been there um, until just this last July. Actually, there was about an 11-month period when we came back to California, which was a planned kind of um, return back to California to help out the family um, and work at my dad's practice, and then we went back for two more years and then um, just came back in July. Um, I did a little bit in Malawi uh, right after dental school, and I thought there might be some dental students here, but I don't think there's any dental students. Are you? Okay. So, to you specifically, right after graduation is a perfect time, because you've got, guess what, six months grace period. So, um, I guess if you're really smart, you'll earn that, <laughs> you know, you'll spend time uh, earning some money to make that first payment easy. And with the amount of debt these days, uh, that might be necessary. But anyway, uh, when I graduated, I uh, went straight out to Malawi and covered a mission practice, Lilongwe Adventist Clinic, for three months um, while the guy that was stationed there went on furlough. And it worked out great. It's, it was really awesome to go. That's where I had grown up, so it was awesome to go back. Um, then I was in a group practice here in uh, San Bernardino for, from 2001 to 2005, and then we've been at the Saipan Seventh Avis Clinic until July, and then since July uh, we've moved back to the Central Valley, California, and uh, joined my dad's practice. And uh, he has a very unique practice. It is specifically pediatric general anesthesia dentistry. So it's kind of the end stop for everybody that has extensive decay or problems or issues, behavioral, whatever it is to prevent them, um, or on the spectrum or whatever it might be to prevent them from having dental work done. And then they come, they're referred to us, and we do everything under general anesthesia. Um, it's an actual surgery center, so it's a JCO certified ambulatory surgery center, which is pretty unique to our field, to dentistry. And uh, anyway, so it's some getting used to working with kids that are all asleep, but that's what I had done two years prior. And actually, we had gotten that going in Saipan. So there was, we made connections with the local anesthesiologist. There was two of them at the time. Um, at the hospital in Saipan, and so they uh, would give us kind of their post-call days, um, and so they would come over, would have these kids lined up, maybe do four or five cases in a day, and they'd give us about five days a week. So that was really, uh, it, was a, it was great for the island because, um, you know, it was a way that these kids could be treated because you see so much rampant decay and, um, you know, that goes back to habits and stuff. But anyway, so now we've got <clears throat> our four, four girls and the three, my brother's three girls all together. They were able to come out to Saipan 
a couple months before we actually left, seeing the time clicking down and having never made it out there for like 13 years, they, they found these super cheap tickets on uh, coming through Hong Kong. And so they nabbed them and they came out to see us. So now it's just crazy all the time. Whenever they're together, I mean, it's all seven girls all together. You know, it's just, it's crazy. Um, how many singles in the room? How many married? Okay. So, everybody, well, I guess there weren't any singles, so yeah, okay. My math is bad. <laughs> um, this is a must read. You guys have to get out your phone and snap a little picture of that and then go on Amazon and buy it for $15 or whatever it is or get it used or buy the audio version. This is top notch. Um, it is not the kind of how to fix your marriage book. It's understanding marriage from a biblical perspective. And it is excellent. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, highly recommend it. We were listening to it on the way down again. And um, it's excellent. So uh, this is what I do now, every day. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, you get this type of thing, just rampant decay and fistulas. Let's see, where's that thing? So these teeth all came out and you're doing pulps and crowns on the ones that you can save. And uh, so, actually, I think this case was in Saipan. I don't think this is one of the ones that was that was here in California. Access to care is a little bit better here, so things don't get quite as advanced, but we still see crazy stuff. So, okay, moving on, I'm going to start from the bottom and move up um, because it's going to give our foundation. So we'll talk about the clinical stuff a little bit in a, in a minute and practice stuff, um, but I uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about your professional talents and stewardship. And I think a lot of times we, when we think about stewardship, stewardship, we kind of automatically go to, oh, they want money, right? It kind of always, when you think of stewardship, you're thinking about managing, a lot of times, I think about managing my money, giving money, that type of thing. I believe that we have to change our understanding of stewardship and understand that Money is just a small little fraction of stewardship. Um, you know, I, I, uh, your time, your talents, everything that God has given to you is a gift. And it's not actually something that is innately yours. It's something that God has entrusted to you. And you have the ability and responsibility to move forward in using that talent for God's glory and benefit. Um, the parable of the talents, you guys all know that story. You remember um, the owner uh, is going to go on a long trip, gives each of them a talent or talents, and then returns and says, what have you done? And... Uh, um, so, you know, I, I, I would not say that it's, I believe that all of you are here because you feel that you have been called and you have a responsibility for service. So, um, just, uh, moving forward in that kind of mentality, like understanding that, you know, a lot of times I, I remember when I first graduated, I'm like, I busted my tail to get through dental school. And it's very easy to kind of think that it was you that, you know, it was because you studied hard, because you're smart enough, because you had the discipline, whatever it is. But think of it like this. Who gave you the ability to do that? Who gave you the brains? Who gave you the motivation? Who gave you the drive? Who gave you the ability to actually complete your dental school, your residency training, whatever it might be? And uh, when you think of it in those terms, that it wasn't, wasn't something that origina originated in you, it just helps in being able to be a good steward. 
couple pictures of the clinic. Um, that's my youngest daughter, Leah, right there. She would always come over to the clinic and kind of help out with, uh, um, you know, this was her classmate, actually. Being a small island, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody. And uh, so uh, she would come and help out. This was Frank. Uh, he was a dentist in the Philippines and a dental therapist in Saipan. And uh, um, anyway. Uh, we would do a clinic with a heart, uh, kind of based off of the clinic with a heart that Loma Linda always did. And um, so this is on one of those clinic with a heart days where we get the kids out there helping and everything. And uh, um, they're seeing a little kid. Uh, just a baptism that, uh, you know, um, out in the lagoon. Uh, this looks very, very different now. Uh, all these are completely stripped. Many of them are down. Um, and I'll show you a few pictures in a, in a second. Work with a heart filled with an earnest longing for souls. Do medical missionary work. Thus you will gain access to the hearts of people. And I think that is the theme of this conference. And that should be uh, our theme no matter where we are or what we're doing. If we're in a practice somewhere in the United States, whether we're going on a short-term mission trip, whether we're on a long-term mission uh, a call, whatever it might be, if we have this and understand this as being how powerful it is as, as a way to minister to people in need, um, it will just, it changes changes your perspective. It changes uh, what you will accomplish and what you can get done for God. Um, okay, so moving on to a little bit of clinical stuff. Has anybody had a had this happen? Have a patient with sensitivity after a crown prep that eventually led to doing root canal treatment? Nobody? No? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that happens a lot frequently. Um, and in my experience, I believe that it is because it's iatrogenic, it's because of overheating the tooth. And I've actually unintentionally experimented on my dad. I did a crown prep on him, um, and the handpiece was working great and did a lot of water. A few had a lot of water, and it was seemed nice and cooled. Uh, the year, a, a few years later, I did a crown prep on another tooth. I did it in his surgery center office, and we didn't really have a good. Uh, we didn't. Ha I didn't have an assistant, and um, the water control. Um, usually, you work dry. A lot of times, you do a lot more dry when you're doing GA dentistry. And he had sensitivity on that tooth for six months. Eventually, well, he didn't have to have a root canal. But um, so I truly believe that when they're numb and you overheat that tooth, that is what is causing them to, that thing to, to eventually fail. The tooth just can't handle it. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually they just need a root canal. So what I really tried starting to do, started doing is slow down a bit. Don't keep the burr on the tooth. Use plenty of water and keep it cool. And uh, when I, after doing that for the last many years, uh, I had a lot less that would have post-op sensitivity and have um, pain and um, hardly any of that ended up needing a root, uh, root canal. <clears throat> this right here is my new favorite material. And I don't have lots of favorite materials. I used to love amalgam, and uh, now I don't use it. I haven't used it for like six years. Um, this right here is a lifesaver. It's, uh, I love it. It's great. I've had, it's super strong, super durable, matches well. It's dual cure, auto, dual and auto. So, I mean, dual, so, so it'll cure no matter if you put a light on it or not. I use it just like a regular composite. It's a little bit more runny. It's more like a flowable composite, but it's not a flowable composite. So we've been using it in pedo 
I've been using it in pedo now for three, it's only been out for about five years, I think, and I've been using it for about three to four years, and um, way, way, way less failures than glass ionomer, and um, of course, since I don't use amalgam anymore, um, I mean, amalgam is, is very durable, very strong, kind of kills all the bugs so you don't get a, as much recurrent decay, but it's got mercury. I mean, seriously, we, I, I just don't think, I, I, I just don't think that it's the best thing to be putting in patients' mouths at this point in time, knowing what we know. So I think there's plenty of other alternatives that are superior. Um, for a long time, I was doing a sandwich, you know, for class twos that were down below the CEJ, um, uh, down onto the dentin, I'd put like uh, Fuji 9 or uh, Fuji 2 uh, down in the bottom of the box and then do the composite up on top of that. And that worked really great. I have no problem with that. But this um, has the same components as a glass ionomer, but it's much stronger and much more durable. Um, it adapts really well. Um, and it actually has uh, chemical release and chemical bond. Uh, has releases calcium phosphate and fluoride. And so this is my new go-to for all class fives and all my pedo restorations. And uh, I highly recommend it. If you haven't used it, give it a try. Because it's such a big gun, the handling of it is a little bit uh, cumbersome at first, but you just have to kind of stabilize it or, you know, kind of you get used to it. It's really not that big of a deal. But I really like it, and the so my dad does all the exams for the pedo recalls and stuff that, um, and not all of them. So we don't actually have a recall system, but they get sent back if there's you know recurrent decay or if there's another problem or something. And so he's the one that does all the exams. We had a guy in the office that was using only flowable. You could market a year and a half later all recurrent decay underneath the flowable. Almost, almost across the board, you would have recurrent decay on the, on the uh, uh, apical margin of the box. We have another guy in the office. All he uses is packable composite. He's very careful. His do pretty well. Um, but according to my dad, now he is a little bit biased to Activa as well, but uh, he said that all the ones that I did in 2015, um, there's, have held up really, really well. Like he's not seeing the marginal kind of breakdown where you get that brown line around your composite um, and the recurrent decay at the box. This is another favorite of mine, MTA. Um, this stuff is, in my opinion, far superior to any other pulp capping material or anything that has any contact with the pulp. Um, people don't use it sometimes because they think it's expensive or whatever else, but you know, if you have a pulp exposure on an adult tooth, you better tell them it's a root canal. Like you have to say that you're going to need a root canal. You just go ahead and schedule that root canal. However, with MTA, you can try Sometimes, you know, you can give, you know, like especially if there's, uh, you know, I've had to do a couple uh, perf repairs. I had one lady come in. She had a uh, post kind of coming out the side of the tooth like this. I didn't do it. If I had, I probably would still say I hadn't. But no, I um, had a post coming out the side of the tooth. And um, I said, you know, I don't think that we're going to be able to save this tooth. Um, but we can try. I've got this material that I really like. It has done really well for me. Um, you know, we can give it a shot um, and see how you do. But, you know, I, you're probably going to have to have it taken out and have an implant placed or a bridge. And so we gave it a shot. And uh, I did a post-op. That was a two, two years ago. I did a post-op on her in Saipan before I left. And I had put a new crown on that tooth and everything, and it's doing perfect. Um, that that uh, perforation was kind of right at just below the 
uh, um, uh, PDL. And it had healed up beautifully, everything. That tooth was super stable. When I saw her, it was really mobile. Uh, not really mobile. Had some mobility to it. And uh, anyway, doing really well. So you can use it for um, perf repairs, uh, apexification, apexogenesis, apicoectomies. Uh, what I've kind of used it the most, because I'm not a huge pulp capping fan at all. I'm definitely not a uh, leave the leathery layer kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, they told, told us that in dental school, and I have no idea if they still do that. But it's like leaving an infection over the pulp. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. So um, this is just one that I just recently did because I still use this stuff all the time. Seeing a huge pediatric population, you get these kids that are 7, 8 years old, 10 years old, and this is what you see right? Had a big buckle pit, no sealant was done, turned into decay. Okay, you can't really, from this tooth, you, you can't really see, but the, see the discoloration all the way around. I mean, my photos are not great. This was just with a little intraoral cam. Um, but uh, anyway, so 11-year-old little boy, tooth number 19. He's only had that tooth for, you know, four years. So removed the decay, had to open it up. It was huge course, there you've got a major pulp exposure. Like I said, never leave a leathery layer of infection bacteria on your pulp. Get rid of it. If you happen to get into the pulp, well, then you've got your choice. What would you do? Should you take this tooth out or should you save it? I mean, there's quite a bit of tooth missing on the buckle side, but on the, on the top, the occlusal surface, not too bad. So, man, how take this out. You ask the orthodontist, should you take out first molars? Oh, no way. I mean, you got to save those as much as possible. So, um, so what did I do? Uh, controlled the bleeding. Well, first of all, I look at the color of the blood. You know, if it's that serous kind of like really watery looking, serous looking blood, it's already too far gone. Um, if you pop into the pulp space and it's black, <laughs> obviously, got to be doing a root canal or taking the thing out. But when you've got a vital pulp, even though it was carious, even though exposure, the decay went all the way to the pulp, um, if the pulp bleeds normal, like it usually does on a healthy kid that's never had any work done on that tooth before, you've got usually got an open apex for the next three years after eruption. For sure it's going to work if you've got an open apex. 100% going to work. If it's got a closed apex, most likely still going to work if they're young because you got good blood supply. Um, so cleaned it out, use a little astringent, or I use Cutrol. Whoops. Um, use Cutrol to kind of control the bleeding. And then uh, use a little bit of sodium hypochlorite on a little cotton pellet to clean and kind of disinfect, clean it really well. Rinse it real well and dry it off, and then apply MTA. So this is the only time I use an amalgam carrier nowadays is to place the uh, MTA. And um, it really works kind of well. You kind of pack it down in there when you place it, and then you get your little condenser and pack it down. And uh, then I used to, when I was first doing this probably 15, 14, 15 years ago, um, I would temporize it with Cavit and then have them come back a couple weeks later and um, go ahead and restore the tooth. Unfortunately, what most of them would, uh, would not do is come back for their follow-up visit. So then you're uh, left seeing them a couple years later and the tooth is pretty much destroyed. You know, sometimes you know, it's just broken or really badly decayed because you didn't have the restoration in there. So now what I do is I put some limelight directly over the, pulp, over, over the uh, MTA You've got to make sure that you're sealing all the way around. Because if you don't seal it, and you did, if you have too much kind of MTA coming out from under the edge, when you really wash it good and clean it, that little thing is just going to pop right off, and all your MTA is going to come flying out. So you just have to make sure that you have a nice clean border around your MTA, and you get that limelight all the way around it. And then uh, go ahead and um, etch, bond, and restore. And that was... Uh, when we were done, you can see kind of the margin here, and 
uh, of course I used Activa and um, I think it it came out good no no pain post-operatively no sensitivity um, and I do probably oh they come in come in waves but probably on average maybe uh, one or two every other week like this um, yeah I don't I bulk fill yep if it's really deep then I'll you know if it's really if it's beyond four millimeters then I will uh, put down a bottom layer cure it and then build it up from there but it's uh, it has one of the lowest shrinkage rates of any composite material so um, and like I said haven't seen the pulling away of um, of the the lines that you typically get around composites haven't been seen that at all. All right, this next thing that I want to share with you, um, also clinical, um, is huge news, gigantic news. Uh, this should change the way we all practice. Whether or not we learn more about it and get into it will be up to you, but it is um, really profound. Do we have any hygienists? No. Originally. Um, has anybody read this book or heard of this book? Beat the Heart Attack Gene by Bradley Bale, MD, and Amy Donine. I would recommend this book. Start with this book because it will tell you um, the is basically this um, see, looking at heart disease, cardiovascular CVD, looking at cardiovascular disease, and how dentistry is poised at a very, is, is very critical to actually making a difference for cardiovascular disease and uh, heart, heart attack and stroke. Um, this article, this art, oops, this article right here, that's published. High-risk periodontal pathogens contribute to the pathogenesis of atherosclerosis, and that was in the Postgrad Medical Journal, 2016. This is new stuff. Um, High-risk oral bacteria is equal to, is causal to heart attack and stroke. From Everything that I've kind of, you hear about, oh, yeah, it's associated, you know, it's like, yeah, it causes inflammation, you know, that type of thing. This is taking it five steps beyond that. It's not just associated. It can be the cause of the heart attack or stroke. And the research that uh, has been done actually shows that periodontal disease, the high-risk periodontal pathogens, they are not just saying, do you have a deep pocket here? No. They're actually testing the oral bacteria. Have you ever heard of uh, oral DNA labs? Okay, so they're actually, you can do a perio, uh, um, periopath uh, screening with saliva, and they will actually list out your periodontal pathogens and actually see which ones you have, if they're the high-risk ones, moderate-risk, or low-risk. And if you have the high-risk ones, those little guys can actually, um, it, it causes tremendous um, inflammation. And this inflammation is not only just like systemic inflammation. Those little bacteria actually can become stuck in the intima and actually can be causal to the actual heart attack. There's some other research that's, I, I didn't um, uh, put it up, but uh, there's a guy in Italy, I believe um, his last name is uh, Pisces or Pecci or something like that, and he actually sucked out um, blood from somebody in that was having a heart attack, and actually from the, they actually through fluoroscopy actually determined where that blockage was happening, and sucked out blood and actually found uh, 14 out of 14 of those patients had uh, the highest, they all had the same bacteria that were found, the primary bacteria that were 
in that lesion were the bacteria that were in their uh, failed root canals. I mean, if that doesn't give you a little bit of pause, you know, it's kind of because I've always been the guy like, you know what, it's, if it's not bothering you, you know, don't worry about it. You know, I, I can who does, I mean, anybody here do retreats? I guess in, in Saipan, I got into doing RCT retreats because there was no endodontist to send them to. So, you know, and I'd kind of pick and choose because they're hard. And uh, so, you know, you have somebody with an apical lesion. They don't have any pain, no problems. I was the guy that was saying, hey, you know, don't worry about it. You know, if it starts to bother you, then we'll take care of it. Not anymore. Now, I see something with a big old lesion like that. I say, well, we can try to retreat it, but I think I'd recommend taking it out. You can have something else later. You can replace it with a bridge or a, or a um, implant. Um, but, you know, so to me, uh, actually, my dad read the book, and um, he was in Saipan a few months before we left, and we took a panel on him, and he's like, Dad, look at this big PA lesion that you've got on this root canal-treated tooth. He's like, what? doesn't bother me at all. I'm like, yeah, look at that thing. I'm like, take it out. I'm like, mm, I, are you sure? Take it out. So I took it out. So who knows? He didn't have to do blood work before and after, which we should have done, which would have been good to see because you've got actual, um, uh, you know, biomarkers. So these guys actually have this whole baildonine method, which is where we actually, as dentists and hygienists, you partner up with um, medical practitioners that are doing, following this baildonine method. And you can actually, they believe this or, I mean, Believe it or not, they actually guarantee that you are not going to have a heart attack or stroke while you're under their care. And they will give you all your money back if you do. That's how confident they are in the fact that they have heart disease figured out. They do genetic testing to see if you have, that's why they say this heart attack gene, because that's part of it. But then they have more than just HCRP, right? High-sensitive high CRP is the inflammatory marker. They're not just testing that. I mean, they're looking at a whole list of these biomarkers. And they're seeing that they can treat everything else and not treat the periodontal disease or the untreated root canals or odontogenic uh, um, um, infections or failed root canals. And... Uh, the inflammatory markers will be way up. They take those out or treat the periodontal disease, all those markers come back within normal limits. Fascinating. And I really think that, you know, we should jump on board. They are looking for, I just attended two lectures by uh, Dr. Bale and uh, Dr. Donine um, at the Hawaii ADA convention just last week. And... Uh, so I have read, I read the book about two year and a half, two years ago. And um, ever since then, it kind of changed the way I'm thinking about things. Um, and I took, they have a little online class that you can take specifically for dentists and dental hygienists. So just visit uh, www.baildonine.com. This is one of the statements that they made. The dental community has a substantial opportunity to mitigate the number one cause of morbidity and mortality namely cardiovascular disease, by elucidating feasible effective management of periodontal disease due to high-risk pathogens. So check it out. They, uh, you can go to a course that, they, that they, uh, they're trying to get the word out there. They're trying to get partnerships between medical and dental. Um, I took this book and gave it to some of the physicians in Saipan, and they were extremely appreciative. Um, my my dad tried to give it to uh, one of uh, the the doctor that he's the physician that he sees, and uh, he just said, uh, "Not not really interested. I can throw it in the trash as well as you can. So maybe you just take it." So you know you never know how it's gonna how people are gonna you know if they think that these guys are quacks or not, but I believe that they are onto something, and within they believe and. 
uh, I believe that uh, within 10 years, uh, this will be fully accepted. Um, I think I think it's it's unequivocal even today. Uh, the American Heart Association has already put out a statement that uh, the evidence is that uh, periodontal um, pathogens and periodontal disease um, are more than just associated; they're causal. <clears throat> so, um, let's talk a little bit about. Um, patient outcomes and uh, making a difference, which is uh, one of the other things that, how are we doing? Oh, okay. 10 minutes, right? Okay. So, uh, you know, you never know how you're going to um, make a difference. You really never know in what, what, what things are going to present themselves. Um, so I have a couple, two, two, well, three little things, three stories. Uh, Lowe's going to recognize this one. So this young, oops, this young lady showed up. What do you guys, what do you think of? Like, oh man, that is a big infection, right? Like, oh my goodness. I have not seen an infection that big. And I'm like, let me take a look. I feel her. I'm like, oh, that is not fluctuant at all. That is rock hard. Ah, uh, my goodness. Okay. Took a pano. Ay, ay, ay. Any ideas? Yeah. Amyloblastoma. So, um, I had no idea what to do. So I called up my oral surgeon friend, Dr. Moretta, sitting right here, and said, Los. I have, I need, we need your help. This little girl, she's, I think she was 16, 16 or 17. She's got Medicaid, she's got, there's nothing, I mean, there's no options for her. She was, she's depressed, she's thinking about suicide, uh, she's not going to school. So, Of course, Lois is like, yo, I am an oral surgeon, but I do not do stuff like that. I shuck thirds, and that's all I ever planned to do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so so uh, anyway, I twisted his arm. I'm like, come on, Lois. You can do it. You're the only one. You got to help this girl. And uh, he's like, let me see what I can do. Well... One thing uh, led to another. He got uh, a company to um, fabricate and donate a plate um, and uh, ended up coming out with uh, one of the residents and the two of them and me. I kind of got it to be in there, and I didn't do too much, but uh, it was fun to kind of be in there on the surgery. Um, got to resect this thing. This was after surgery. She was uh, extremely happy because um, she looked, right, from that to that. This is how it looked. So uh, they were able to retain the condyle, and then they put in this plate. They got three screws in right there, hoping that that's going to last, and then one, two, three, four, five screws down here. And, uh, of course, it wasn't, I can't go into all the details. It didn't, uh, uh, they had a little bit of a post-operative infection that Carlos had to deal with. And, uh, um, anyway, she was doing really well. Well, what happens if you don't get bone in there? It broke right there. And so, uh, I let Los know and came out, and they fixed it. They put in another one. I don't have that x-ray. I was waiting for stuff. Some stuff came through from Saipan, but uh, like we have the, a uh, cone beam of it, and uh, I was hoping to show that. But uh, anyway, the next one that they put in was just, it's never going to break. I mean, it like, looks like a mandible. The thing is, like, how, how thick was that? Probably 4 by 15, 3 by 15, tight, 
Yeah. And that was milled. So it really, I mean, it was beautiful. It looked, you know, and they were, they were still able to uh, retain that condyle. And, uh, um, you know, it just nice and thick and came all the way around and looks good. Um, and that was three, two, three years ago. I forget exactly. But she's doing well. In fact, uh, right before we left, we were probably about a month before we left, we're uh, walking um, on that beach path that I showed you. And uh, she's, we're, we were just with the family. You know, we'd go out there and walk in the evenings and stuff and say, hey, Doc, I'm like, hey, Leilani, how are you doing? And she's doing, she's doing great. She's out there walking, exercising. Um, she's working at the airport, and she's doing so, so much better um, and has, has a normal life because of that. I mean, before she was, she was, uh, you know, really, really down and out. And uh, so you just, you just never know the opportunities that are going to come your way. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Carlos didn't expect that and, uh, you know, and, uh, but it made a profound difference in her life. This is how Saipan used to be. Uh, one of the problems that we have there is uh, betel nut. Now, betel nut is a palm nut that is chewed, and uh, this is actually pretty mild as far as how the teeth look. You can tell that she's spent lots of time rubbing it off, so her teeth look kind of worn. I mean, they kind of get this gritty stuff to rub it off so that they have whiter teeth. But one of the problems with betel nut is uh causes cancer, oral cancer. So, um, you know, as a general dentist, uh, you know, don't deal with cancer. Do you, do you deal with cancer? I mean, if you go through your entire practice and maybe do one biopsy or send them to the oral surgeon for the biopsy and send them off to, to get biopsied, I mean, that, that, might be, that might be it, you know. Um, uh, but in Saipan, because of the betel nut use, uh, we just saw a tremendous amount of oral cancer. Um, and there was nobody doing biopsies. So I started doing biopsies, started to try to, you know, learn as much as I could, and um, became the kind of the guy that they would send them to for biopsies, you know, even from the hospital, um, you know, they would... Uh, you know, I saw a, a oral biopsy that the oral surgeon had done. I mean, not the oral surgeon, the general surgeon, and he just like whacked right through the gingiva, and now they had a huge perio defect. I mean, they just you know just don't know how to handle stuff around the in the mouth, and um, so anyway, they would they started sending me these these biopsies to do. Um, this particular guy, his name is Melvin, and uh, He's uh, an oral cancer survivor. We took this picture probably, oh, I don't know, I, I guess a few days before we left. Uh, we were packing up, and he came by to say goodbye. Um, but the, uh, I guess the, the, the uh, point that I was going to make is uh, you just don't know exactly how, um, in what, in what ways you're going to be able to, uh, make a difference. So, um, like in his particular situation, he comes in <clears throat> and he's got a big lesion on his tongue. I took one look at that thing. I was like, oh man, this does not look good. And I spent some time explaining that you know, it could be cancer. We just don't know until we actually get the biopsy. And I said, you know, uh, there's nobody on the island that can do the treatment. Do you, what do you want to do? I mean, you know, I'm going to refer you off, but it could take months. I mean, we could just take this whole thing out or we could just like take a little piece of it. And he's like, take it out. I was like, are you sure? Because sometimes the oral surgeons and the ENTs don't like that. And uh, he's like, no, you take it out. So I was like, okay. So I took it out. I mean, the thing probably, that was a little hairy, actually. 
I shouldn't be sharing to the oral surgeon that I'm doing that type of stuff, but I mean, it was probably about um, six, six centimeters by four centimeters and uh, had to do a little tie-off because there had a spurter in there, you know, so you just clamp it um, with a hemostat and uh, these little tricks that Los taught me and uh, tied a little uh, suture in there, resorbable suture, just so it would quit bleeding and then put some big sutures through the tongue to kind of uh, cinch it down and prevent any bleeding and started the referral process. So he was in Guam seeing an ENT probably about, it happened pretty quick in his situation, it was about six weeks later. And um, the ENT saw that the, of course the, the, the path report was squamous cell. So um, saw, the, uh, saw the ENT, the ENT said, you know, um, we need to go back in there, make sure that there's, all the margins are clear, um, and do a radical neck. So he did that. I encouraged him to do it. In fact, his insurance wasn't going to cover it. And uh, he's like, you know, I feel like I got to do this. Otherwise, he's going to send me to the Philippines and it's going to take another month or so before I get treatment. I'm like, just do the surgery. So he did the surgery and it was a 16 hour surgery. Uh, they removed, you know, all the lymph nodes up underneath. And uh, there were, there was one really big one that was already affected. And uh, then he went on to the Philippines for radiation. And this is when he came back. Uh, he had lost, oh, I think, I think he had said he lost about 40 pounds. And, uh, you know, he was pretty, pretty thrashed, pretty weak. But he's alive. And I think he's probably going to uh, gonna survive um, because of it. This is the school now. So this, so, you know, we were looking at pictures um, just on the way down here this morning and some of the ones that show really even more of the devastation, uh, we, did, we weren't able to get on here because these are just the ones that we got yesterday. Um, but, you know, trees are, whoops, trees are completely stripped. Uh, this, there was a, uh, a, a awning or like a covering that was built right along here last year, last summer. Beautiful. It was like a gathering place. They would have their uh, morning chapel and everything right underneath this big awning that went in front of the school. So this is the upper level and ground level of the Saipan Seventh Avenue School. And this was the big awning there, all gone. All these trees down. Uh, this is to just flip cars over. I mean, it's just, uh, it was just crazy. Um, the, the pictures that are coming out of there are just, you can't believe. Uh, that's, that used to be an airplane. That's wrapped up in, uh, in the chain link fence at the airport. That's inside the domestic terminal. Just thrashed. That's just outside the domestic terminal. That just, I mean, that, Thing just, I mean, can you imagine that huge structure just got, just got uh, pummeled? I mean, to, to take down the steel and concrete structures like this. This is out in front of the clinic. You know, the clinic actually fared very well. Um, so we just praise God for that. Uh, but the power pole is kind of half down there, and um, you know, trees are down. No windows were broken, though. Um, that That's tin sheeting from somebody's roof, probably across the street, because Transamerica across the street just got thrashed. I mean, it's just it's demolished. That is uh, the gymnasium at the uh, local uh, public or Catholic school. Just got thrashed. Um, so... Uh, we set up a, Crystal set up a uh, GoFundMe page um, to uh, try to raise money to help uh, the, the people in need. Um, so this is what it is, GoFundMe.com slash Saipan dash strong dash typhoon dash YouTube. So if any of you um, are able to contribute 
Um, we ask for your prayers for everybody over there. Uh, Dr. Creed um, Warren sitting here is now the clinic director in Saipan. And um, he'll be flying back. He was just over to the ADA and now the AMEN conference. And he's flying back later or uh, next week. Um, so as soon as the flights are back up and running, you know, he'll be back over there. Um, what's the update? Is Adventist Aid going to send out people and stuff? ADRA? Yeah. So if you... If you uh, have connections, talk to uh, myself or Dr. Creed here um, as far as like any ideas for you know aid or support or anything. Um, this this storm that just hit last, I mean, just this Wednesday, just a few days ago, their people are just getting out now to actually go and survey the damage, um, but it is. There was one U.S. World and News, News and World Report that said it was the strongest storm to make landfall on any U.S. soil. Crazy. So that means stronger than Katrina, stronger than the one that that hit uh, uh, um, Puerto, uh, Puerto Rico, um, stronger than the other ones that have hit the islands. We had a really bad one in Saipan three years ago. I mean, this is just way beyond that. So, so supposedly, they had sustained winds of 180 miles an hour. The eye went directly over Tinian, which is the neighboring island. We haven't been in touch with anyone in Tinian yet, but uh, I'm sure that that place just got devastated. Saipan got winds for a long time, but they were just to the outside of the eye. So when you're at the eye, you get the strongest winds right at the outer edge, at the inner edge of the, the outer edge of the eye, the inner edge of the, of the uh, hurricane or typhoon. And those winds were 180 miles an hour sustained. And then you get it twice. So you, it comes over, and then you get a little bit of uh, reprieve and while the eye is directly over you, and then you get hit the other direction when it goes past. So anyway, keep them in your prayers, please. And uh, if you have any financial support or any other support that you are able to give, um, that would be really uh, greatly appreciated. Um, how are we doing? Oh, I'm over. So that's what I have. No time for questions. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.